0: This is DC, the brain supreme of tag team. And you're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with Robert Miller. Whoop! There it is.
1: Sprinkles! Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today welcome to the follow your dream podcast hi everybody welcome to another episode of the follow your dream podcast my name is Robert Miller I'm your host my guest in this episode is DC Glenn half of a group called tag team along with Steve Gibson that had a monster hit in 1992 called "Womp." There It Is, a big, big dance hit that spent seven weeks at number two on Billboard. It went platinum. It was featured in a whole bunch of movies. And then, not too long ago, Geico, the insurance company, came forward and decided that they wanted to do a commercial with Tag Team and with that song. They renamed it Scoop, There It Is, They showed the commercial before and after the Super Bowl, which sent it into orbit, and we're going to talk to DC Glenn all about that. In the meantime, underneath this introduction, you're hearing a song of mine called Python from PGS7. Python is a funky number. It's not quite the same hip hop that tag team does, but I think it goes really well with that song. And if you'd like a free download of Python, all you need to do is go to followyourdreampodcast.com slash roadmap hyphen song. And now, everybody, please welcome with me to the Follow Your Dream podcast, DC Glenn. And DC, before we do anything else, I want to play for everybody a portion of your mega hit, "Womp." There It Is, so everybody knows what we're talking about. Party people!
0: Get directed, let's begin. Party on party, people let me hear some noise. DC's in the house, jump, jump, rejoices. There's a party over here. A party over there, wave your hands in the air, shake the dairy, yeah. These three words mean you getting busy. Whoa, that is hit me.
1: So I want to welcome to the podcast and please join me, DC Glenn.
0: Hey, how you doing, everybody? You are way too kind. <laughs> <I'm> not stratosphere.
1: <laughs> you are I'm, in I'm orbit right
0: here with the rest of everybody. <laughs> I don't
1: think so. All yeah. right, you got to take me back. Was it always your dream to be in music? Well, I was kind of forced into music.
0: Right. I was born in Chicago, Illinois, and we moved. Our family moved to uh, Denver, Colorado. When I was four years old. And my father used to play the trumpet. So he Get
1: out. Wait, 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 wait. My father played the trumpet too.
0: Yeah. Okay. Did you start
1: to play the trumpet as a result?
0: I started to play the trumpet because I was forced to play the trumpet because I was my too <laughs> son to follow in his footsteps. So I played the trumpet for a while and then my mother wanted me to take piano lessons, as every mother does. So I was musically inclined because we had a basement full of instruments, but nothing really stuck till I got to high school, right? When I got to high school, I met Steve because our last names were, you know, Gibson and Glenn. And we sat next to each other, became friends. And Steve had a band that would play in the quad sometimes during lunchtime. And I was like, I gotta be in that band, right? And then I worked at the Tardy office and I heard this angelic music down the hall, which was Dr. Joyce Davis directed the choir at a high school, Manual High School. And I was like, I gotta be in that choir. Then our first dance at the uh, when I went to that high school, uh, Steve's friends DJ. And I first time ever seen two turntables, you know, people trying to mix on two turntables. And I was like, "Ooh, DJ, I got to do that. And one by one, I knocked each one off and became very masterful in all of them and graduated high school and moved to California, started DJing for all the frat parties then one of our members of the band because we kind of disbanded so there was three of us called the tag team crew and otis p went to the army so it was just me and steve tag team and then i just picked up the writing lyrics duty and would write lyrics in class in college right and just learned how to make songs uh got a task task four track then everybody thought i was crazy because i was making these weird songs but that was like in the stone ages, right? Like, so you understand, I am saying like, you're smiling because you understand what I'm saying when I say a task cam <laughs> four track, right? That is the beginning. That is the two rocks, a spark, and hope you get a fire, right? But <laughs> it gave me the ability to work, to make songs. So I made like 10 songs and sent them to Steve. He thought I was in a devil worship because I used everything. I was beatboxing, pots and pans, flutes, whatever. And then he got a task and we started sending them back and forth. And now we're cooking because we would have to go to the studio and put it down. And then you're always on the clock in the studio back then. And, you know, when I come home for breaks and we just never really had the time. But when you're in your home home and you can hash things out, it's better. So fast forward, you know, I came down to Atlanta, had a ball. I was like, this this is what I'm doing. I came down to Atlanta, started DJing, had a job at CNN, but started DJing and maybe two years after I started DJing, I was we were still making songs. They were, you know, I got to test my own songs when I worked. So that was beautiful. And, you know, I, I knew that being in a different region and making hip hop other than the hip hop we were normally uh used to, we had to do something different. And down south it's the land of bass music, up tempo party music, right? And I knew there was no way we were gonna ever you know be stars if we didn't do that coming out of the southeast so you know i went to steve i said man we got to make some bass music man he was like man i don't know how to make that stuff and it was like don't think about it that way think just just think about planet rock and egyptian lover because those were two of the biggest records at the beginning of hip-hop so that was kind of like the essence right and he made the beat and i wrote a bunch of lyrics i'd already had five rhyme books of lyrics, right? And we just started matching lyrics to the song and settled on one that I kind of wrote a couple of lines for, Womp, There It Is, which is like a party sing in the Southeast, and like throw your hands in the air, wave, like don't, just don't care, as you would say at parties. And we put it together, and that night I had to work at the club and drop the cassette in, and to this day, that is the biggest response on any record that I've ever had.
1: Amazing. All right, I want to go back a little bit. I know you started doing what they call Southern Bass, Mm -hmm. right? In Atlanta. Now, describe that. What does that mean?
0: So when hip hop started, you had your Grandmaster Flash, you had The Message, you had songs like that. But then when the B-boy era started, you had songs like Plant Rock, Al-Nafish, Egyptian Lover, Dr. Dre made a song called Surgery. They were all it's a difference in beats per minute, right? So regular hip hop was like 90 to 100 beats per minute. But bass music took it from 125 all the way up to 135, right? And even playing rock wasn't that. All the all the beginning songs weren't that high. This was a whole nother form off of another form because that's how music goes, right? And you got, you got Luke, you got two live crew, you got all those groups making this Southern base in Atlanta, you had bass artists, but they weren't nationally known. Right. And I knew that I wasn't going anywhere. So I wasn't going to move to New York. I wasn't going to move to LA. I knew I was stuck in Atlanta. And I was like, you know, when in Roman you have to be like the Romans. And that's why we made the uptempo Southern base. And our first attempt at it was, whoop, there it
1: is. Now, before you did that, huh? I want to know, were you doing it with regular instruments or was it all electronic sounds? How, how did you create it?
0: For me, sometimes it was with my mouth. It was beatboxing. It was maybe making a hi hat and then sample it and keep going. But it was like electronic. We had a MPC 60s. Um, we had what's called an Emacs. We had all those original boards, right? And all those original drum machines 808s, 909s, all the rolling stuff. And we just, you know, try to make things, and I would try to be more innovative and come up with different sounds, kind of like a, um, kind of like you know, a Hollywood movie trailer type situation. You know, a foley. You know, I I would try to use foley sounds, right? Uh-huh. Not necessarily foley sounds from movies, but my own, you know, uh, iteration of foley sounds, just to have something different from everybody else, and just to keep it simple, because it was about dancing, right? And if you made music that can make people dance then that was the ticket and just trying to be more creative you know and then using samples too see that's 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 the fatal flaw because back then pre-1992 everybody was sampling records but nobody was like hey why are you sampling my record everybody's like oh well but then Biz Markie was the first artist that got really hit hard And they sued him and took everything, but everybody's still sampling. And all the people that did sample, they didn't really get hit that hard. It was like they got away with making hit records, making a bunch of money. And then here we come and we get hit because we use the Kano sample. I'm ready.
1: Let me explain for people that may not know sampling is when you take somebody else's record and you take little bits of it and you put it on your record. And it's become a big thing in the music industry, but. What DC is explaining is that way back when nobody got paid for doing it, nobody was asking permission to do it. They were just doing it, right? Yeah,
0: because you know nobody took hip hop seriously. It was just a street thing, right? There were no instruments. You're not an R&B. You're not playing anything. It's just like take you're It was kind of cute to people till records start going platinum, <laughs> right? <laughs> then, then it was, like, it was wait, no
1: longer <laughs> just cute. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so. I, you know, and I actually did the due diligence on that, but this is one of the things that, you know, this is one of the things that I did not know. And these are one of the things that I want to always be able to tell younger artists is that, you know, there's a business side to music. Right. And if you t- if you take a sample, you got to clear it. Now, most people just think, OK, clear the sample. And that's what I thought. But I didn't know there was two sides to sampling. I didn't know there was two sides to you know. I didn't know about music publishing. I didn't know there was the, you know the publisher share and the writer share. I didn't know that, so I cleared the I cleared the writer share. That was easy enough, but didn't clear the publisher share, and that's where that's where the problems came in. Yeah. But we worked it out. But at the same time, it just we was everybody was still making samples, so people didn't want to let that go. So a lot of artists lost a lot of money because. They couldn't let sampling go and turn it into something else like making music, actually making music.
1: All right. So now let's get to the part, the good part here. You guys come up with Wump. There it is. Tell me a little bit about the beginnings of that. How did it happen?
0: People think it's this big Manhattan project. Right. And it's not. It was just a song, man, about us partying on a Friday night. Just simple. Right. I mean, just like any other song you know, Beach Boys about us partying on the beach, pretty (laughs) girls, right? I mean, there's no formula, you just make songs, right? And we made a song and as a DJ, I'm listening to all this music so I kind of know which lane to be in. And we hit it, we hit it all right on the nail but my hubris as a young man, I was like, every record I make is a hit record. So I kind of put Womp There It Is on the shelf. And then later on, probably in January, 93, uh, one of the girls in the club was like, DC, why don't you play a record anymore? I was like, I'll play it. Played it, same response, right? And I was like, wait a minute. There's something special about this record.
1: So you played it initially, got a great response, then you put it on the shelf?
0: Well, I played it for a little while. You know what I mean? But we always we always were making records, right? And we were always testing them. So a lot of girls were like, I love that record. I love that record. So I'm getting records played. It was more about, Because I'm in an adult entertainment club. Right. So and and a um, dance club. So it's two different things because, you know, adult entertainment club, it's about the girls. So it's about every girl likes a certain song. Right. So that's why everybody loved me, because the record company reps, all the major labels could come and test their records through me. Right, and if one girl likes your song, that means you got rotation two nights every eight hours. Right, that's radio in a city that doesn't play rap music at the time. So I was uh, I was in the hottest clubs in the city, and that night I played it again. Record rep uh, Alan Cole. For those who don't know, record reps back in the day were every major label had record reps in each region of the United States, and then those record reps would take you know, all the music to the radio, to the clubs, to the record pools, they would service everybody. So I had people servicing me from every label individually. So I always had the newest records. Plus I bought records from every store in the country, you know, in the big regions just to have more variety of music. This is pre internet, pre all of that. Right. So, and we're talking vinyl. When I say records, it's funny. Cause I, there's some people ask you, what, what are you,
1: huh? What Sorry. does that mean? What's a record? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, what? Are you serious?
0: But uh, so, you know, I Alan Cole from Columbia Records, like, what is that? And I was like, that's my new record. He's like, give it to me, man. Give it to me. I'm sending this to New York. He sent it to New York. New York hits me back. Columbia Records. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, whoa, this works. Then I hit every rep. Now I got all the major labels. I like your record, but they didn't know how to work bass music and record labels tend to think how record labels think, whatever that means. Right. It's not in the mainstream of what most people think. So they 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 do certain things to try to get records played or make records a hit. And then a lot of them, some of them are hits and a lot of them aren't. Right. But the ones that are hits make up for the ones that aren't.
1: That's right. They throw it all against the wall. And if it sticks, they go after it. And if yeah, not, they, they, they just let it go. Wall.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they just let it go. And, you know, that's part of the game, too, because they insulate themselves by giving young people, you know, terrible contracts. So they hold all the cards. Right. So. I was getting frustrated because everybody was like, I love the record, but, you know, we want to develop you. I was like, I ain't got time for that. I got to hit record. What else do you need? And I almost gave up, right? Because I was so frustrated. And young lady called uh, named Lisa McCall said, you need to talk to Al Bell. And I was like, Al Bell, like he used to own Stax Records. And Stax Records was one of the original three black, first black record companies, the Stax Records, Philly International, and Motown. And Al Bell had put out a record the summer before called Daisy Dukes, which was a bass record by a, a group named Deuce, and it went gold. And it was like, he knows how to work this type of music. So I give him a call, and he, you know, he didn't, I left a message, He calls me back in a week and a half, I forgot actually. And he was like, how you doing, brother? I was like, Mr. Bell? I got a hit record, I've tested it. You need to sign us. No games, just sign us. You'll be you'll be happy you did. I was real passionate about it and he was like, "Okay." And I was like, "Wait a minute, you haven't even heard the record." <laughs> and you know, I remember these words to this day. He's like, "Brother, I don't have to hear the record. I hear it in your spirit." Right? Let's agree to agree. I gave my 2 weeks at the club. Signed a messed up record contract, and in a month and a half we were platinum.
1: Unbelievable! Yeah. You don't hear stories like that anymore. Mm-mm. Nah. all right. So I got to talk to a little bit about the Wump thing. Okay, so it's an upbeat record. It's a dance record. It's a feel good record. I always wanted to know the Shaka laka part. Did you get that from Sly?
0: No, nah. I can tell you exactly. You know what, what I'm
1: do. talking about, right?
0: Exactly what you. I, hey. Let me tell you, man. We were in the studio. We did our verses, and we were like, "Man, we need bridges and and hooks, right?" Well, you know, we do. There it is was a hook, but we need some bridges, right? And we just started making up stuff. If you think about it, you know what I mean? Like, "Womp, shaka-laka, shaka-laka, shaka laka, shaka laka, shaka." Just we just made it up. <laughs> then, "Hey ladies, hey fellas," that's made up. And then, "Can you on the dig-? spot?" On the spot, can you dig it? We can dig it. Can you dig it? Like, what does that even mean? Right? If you think about it, what does that mean? <laughs> but people love it, right? So, all this stuff was made up on the fly. I mm. promise, you, even, even party people, because we did the first version. I did party people. Me and Steve got a heated argument when we went to redo it and make it tighter. I was like, I don't want to do the party people. He's like, You got to do the party people. That's the best. That's, that sets it off. And we argued and you know, I have this thing about being wrong. I love to be wrong, right? I just didn't, but I I love to be wrong now because it's always the path to get to being right. And this is one of the times where I was wrong, which was the path to being right because party people has proven to be one of the most instrumental parts of that record. Just when it comes on, you know that it's time to party. So you know, we we had a good run. You know, uh, there was certain. And actually, there were other Wump There It Is records because it was a party sing. But because I was in the most popular clubs and all the stars knew me, they knew it was my record. And a friend of mine, Ed Lover, who him and Dr. Dre used to have uh, one of the first shows on MTV called Yo MTV Raps. And he heard the record down in uh, Atlanta. And he was like, man, what is that record? And I was like, that's my new record. He's like, give it to me, man. And I gave him a cassette. He's like, man, I can't do nothing with no cassette. was like i'll have some vinyl for you soon and after i left the club we met back down there i gave him a couple pieces of vinyl and that next monday him and dre played that record the whole show on mt yo mtv raps on mtv when mtv was at its hottest and it was over right no other no other record had a chance and two weeks later chicago bulls win their third championship and, you know, everything in Chicago was WGN back then, right? Just like everything in Atlanta was TBS. That's why so many people love the Braves and the Cubs, right? And they have their parade, half a million people in Grant Park. And the Bulls are on stage chanting, Womp there it is. <laughs> and then it was over, right? It, it really was over after that. You got Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and all the players up there chanting, Woomp there it is, and partying and having a good time
1: game over what you th- what were you thinking at the time were you thinking you're the luckiest guy in the world
0: oh, i was thinking i i see i'm always I've always been a hard worker right i worked very hard for that so for me it was satisfaction right because it was satisfaction because i knew that if i didn't quit it would eventually happen right and because i was a dj and I was at Atlanta at the beginning of Atlanta's music renaissance. I was, da- you know, I got there when L.A. Um, and Babyface got there. L.A. Reed and Babyface and Bobby Brown and all the big artists start migrating to Atlanta. It started popping and I would watch artists rise and fall. And, the, you know, what makes artists fall even harder is that they treat people, you know, like crap when they're stars and then you know people revel in their demise and those those people never come back right and i vowed to never be that plus my father had told me at the beginning i'm proud of you son this is what i didn't i didn't plan on you being a rapper but you know you're i started you with music you know what i mean and um he said it will fade And enjoy yourself, but when it starts fading, don't chase it. Don't chase the stardom. And I remembered that, right? And I'd already seen how that played out in the club. So I was the same person from the beginning to today, because I understand that humility is the path, is a true path to success. It's true. Respect you and they like you. And that's what it's all about.
1: There's so many artists that, you know, they had their era. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can go back and look at it you can say okay that was the beginning then came to the end and uh that's okay there's an arc to it for most artists yeah for the guys and the gals that can actually continue and keep it going beyond that arc that's pretty hard
0: and geico calls we got our website up everything's optimized we did the wikipedia pages All the information on the internet about us is up-to-date and accurate. Here comes Geico. And they call me. I got a tag team phone. I don't answer the tag team phone that much. But because I laid good breadcrumbs, they went to my actors portal on IMDB because I'm an actor and a voice artist, right? So they found my agent for acting, Called my agent, my agent calls me, DC, you just booked a Geico commercial. I was like, don't play with me. I I didn't even audition for a Geico commercial. They're like, DC, you got a Geico commercial. They wanna book you. And I'm like, tag team, like you just hit me. And I was like, went to check my phone, boom. And I let my agents make the deal because now I'm being represented for acting and voiceover. So I might as well let them do the tag team deal because this is a commercial. And then I don't have to hire lawyers. I don't have to do anything because they've already proven themselves to me. Now I have representation the right way.
1: All right. But wait a minute. I got to take you back. Geico calls you out of the blue. Out of the blue. Why? How did it happen? What was it about you? You know, how did they come up with this?
0: Okay. So they have been making Geico commercials forever. They have different tiers of Geico commercials. So each one is a play on cleverness, right? So The one we're in, you know, did you know that's that one? Did you know that you could, you know, car insurance? Well, let's get that to help you check it out. So that goes back to Lil Richard, The Who, uh, Peter Frampton, Boys the Men, DJ Khaled, Salt and Pepper, Ice Tea. All these artists, right, who've done these Geico commercials in this Geico lane, but then you have other lanes. You got the Geico and the Gecko. Remember, you had the Caveman. So they it's a it's a marketing agency, the Martin agency that does all this, right? And we they had been wanting to do tag. You know, they told us it's like we've been trying to figure out something for tag team for a while because we love that song. And they did, and they called me, and you know, it only took them two passes to catch me, right? And If it had been back then, they might not ever have caught me and went to the next artist that they had in the hole that they're developing. And I would have missed that opportunity. Right? That's why that's you know what I what I say is so important that you have to be able to get found. You have to be you gotta do your due diligence so you can have your narrative out to the world and to the universe, because you can have a mediocre record and still make money if you do it right. You know what I'm saying? If you if you just learn the principles of business. Right. You can have that. You can still make money, off of your record. And, you know, this was this was like synergy for all my things that I had been all my hustles that came together. Acting, you know, I had had a pandemic hit and. It just everybody had to stop. And I was like, what are you going to do? And it was voiceover that I chose and I reinvented myself. I had been booking for voiceover for a minute. That's how I got with the people store agency, my agents through voiceover. But then I had a, me- I started booking instantly. I had a meeting with up there one time. And then the owner of the agency sees me he's like, put him on camera. I like his face. Now I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, you're about to be an actor. And I'm like, "What well, I gotta do I'm like, got to take some headshots and you got to go to class. And once I went to my first couple of classes, I was hooked. And this is 2017. This is after the lawsuit. You know, after the lawsuit, we prevailed. I had to rest. I lay in bed for a whole month, depressed, asked myself, what am I going to do? And once I reinvented myself, things started happening. I booked my first movie. I booked my second movie. I booked, I had booked several local and regional TV commercials and voiceovers, just a lot of them. But. We're talking national big-time stuff. I had booked a national Pizza Hut commercial before the pandemic for March Madness. So all my hard work, all my preparation is paying off. And then the Coup de grace, Geico calls me in September, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And everybody's like, I know you got to be happy. I was like, I was happy the first two days. Then it was time to go to work.
1: So we're speaking here to D.C. Glenn from Tag Team. Whoop! there it is telling us the whole narrative of what happened here. I want to go back to the Geico thing for a second. Yeah. When they first approached you, they wanted the song. Did they want you in it as well because you wound up in it, right?
0: No, no, no. They wanted us in it from the beginning. That's the first time we've ever been in a commercial. And, you know, it was always frustrating because we would we would never know if I, we were in a commercial. We just have to – everybody would start calling. You know you guys were in the such and such commercial because – we had no recourse to fight against people using, you know, uh, the record. This was company.
1: the music that was in the commercial. It was the right? music. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. But now you're in the commercial as an actor.
0: Now we're in the commercial. And because I have 100 times better representation and these people, this is what they do. Not only can they do the television side, but they can do the music side as well. And I kind of gave them an education on the music side and then they're the ones that go in and they're the ones that say this is what we want and this is it
1: we've been talking about this geico commercial scoop there it is let me play it for you now tasha did you know geico could save you hundreds on car insurance and a whole lot more so what are you waiting for hip hop group tag team to help you plan dessert oh uh,
0: fresh vanilla rocky road chocolate peanut butter cookie dough
1: Switch today and see all the ways you could save. So Geico wanted you in as an actor as well as the music.
0: Yep. They wanted. They, they had to have tag team.
1: Fantastic.
0: And because I'm an actor, I could have been happy and just showed up to set and been like, okay, what do I got to do? But I'm an actor and I prepared for that commercial. I said, I want to go into this with five things, six things that I know can make this commercial kind of special. And when I got the first script, it was like, we're doing soup. There it is. I'm like, soup. So I'm trying to prepare. I'm looking at Seinfeld episodes of the soup Nazi, just trying to get ideas. I'm like, <laughs> what is this going to be? Right. And
1: that was the original person, soup. Like, there it is. Huh?
0: There it is. And he's like, No, 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 no. We're not gonna do that. We're going to do, we're going to do scoop. And I was like, ice cream. I was like, man, that's, that's it. Because you know, that take me back. It took me back to my childhood. Right. Because my father who recently passed a year ago before COVID, you know, he used to make us ice cream when we were kids. He would, he would make get the eggs, the sugar, the, the uh, vanilla. And we'd set up the little ice cream churn and ice around it. And he put it in the cylinder. We churned five minutes a piece. And then 20 minutes, my brother eating ice cream. I wanted to bring that essence to the commercial. Then I was like, I want to spin a scoop, but I couldn't find anybody to make a spin and scoop. And we had a production meeting the night before in a wardrobe meeting. And I was like, you know, I got some ideas. You know, he's like, whatever you want to do, DC. I was like, cool. I mean, they were they they were really gracious. They let us do anything we wanted to do because they knew. And I was like, I wanted to spin a scoop, but I couldn't get it made, but I still want to do it. He's like, no, 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 I'll be done tomorrow. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I know kids love sprinkles, so I want to have a ton of sprinkles. And I wanna do a sprinkle salt bay or off the shoulder. I wanna do maybe some throwing a sprinkle and I wanna do a LeBron James, how he goes to the chalk table, you know, and gets his chalk and throws it up. That's that's the sprinkles. And then we got this little dance we're gonna do. So we're gonna rock that because everybody in the Southeast and our culture knows that, and they'll be happy that we represent it for them. And we want this to be like we are on stage, a tag team party. And that's what it was. And the actors and actresses that supported us were brilliant, Nikki Carr, Amethyst, Michael Goosby, Anthony Goosby, and we had a party all day long and we did everything and you got a big, uh, you know, you got all the higher-ups from Geico and Martin Agency and everybody's just watching this and they're like, how are they keeping that energy up? And I'm like, I used to DJ eight hours a night. This is nothing, right? So we finish and that's it. That has made me successful.
1: DC, you know, this is a podcast that's called Follow Your Dream. This is all about trying to encourage and motivate and inspire people to follow their dream because I believe everybody's got a dream. You had a dream when you were younger, you still have a dream. Mm -hmm. And yet so many people never go after their dream. There's always a reason. Life gets in the way. They come up with excuses, etc. If you had to give advice to a dreamer that has not pursued their dream or has gotten frustrated, what would it be?
0: The number one thing I do that works every single time I join an organization. I joined when I wanted to do shows, and everybody's like, Well, you only got one song. It's like 2016, 2017, because we always do NBA halftime shows, special shows like that, right? And they're lucrative, but I wanted to be on tour. I wanted to be more consistent on the road. Like, well, you only got one song. So, hmm, you know, we might put you on a ride. Everybody just give me the runaround. So I went and joined the International Entertainment Buyers Association. And you know, it, You know, in, in the concert game, you have a hierarchy. You have your buyers, you have your venues, which your stadiums and your uh, uh, arenas. Then you have your top tier promoters, Live Nation. Uh, Ticketmaster, all those people like that. Then you have your mom and pops. Then you have your managers. Then you have your artists. And I effectively, joining that organization, cut out everybody in the middle and went straight to the buyers and went to their convention, 5,000 strong. Me and Chubby Checker, the only black dudes in there. <laughs> and I have a big Woot There It Is t-shirt on. And I started networking. And uh, my pitch is, my name is DC Glenn, attack tag team. You might've heard the song "Wound There It Is. Yeah, I've heard of that song. Well, just out here networking we've got a clean 90s nostalgia rap show i said all the right things and then all of a sudden we're doing casinos doing rodeos state fairs fairs carnivals we're doing charity events we're doing fundraisers cruise ships because there's different types of shows everybody's thinking i want to do concerts i want to go on tour There's so many. This lady wanted to have us in the ice capades for intermission, but she she just you know wasn't enough money for us to be exclusive. Right. And that's what I do. So my advice to you is to do that, because I basically have a PR firm now. I do five or six of these a day. Right. And they have opened my world to things I have never imagined possible. And I'm you know, I'm booking TVs and TV show. I'm on a TV show now i am got two movies about to come out, a documentary about to come out, and I've got four more projects that I can't talk about that are just leave me choked up because I never thought this would happen. And they'll tell you how
1: to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking to D.C. Glenn. He is a force of nature, and he has reinvented himself a couple of times This is a guy that started out as a member of tag team, and now he's a conglomerate, it sounds like, between acting and voiceover and everything else. DC, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been terrific. Remember to get your complimentary dream roadmap, where I lay out my five steps to pursue and succeed at your dream, just by going to followyourdreampodcast.com slash dreamroadmap. And now we're going to play you the rest of that song that you heard at the beginning called Python that I wrote that's got that funky, funky kind of beat that's going to go along with a lot of what DC has been talking about. And uh, we'll see you at the next episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at Podcast dot com. And you can hear more from his band at project dot com and at the dot com.